0: Lift off. We have a lift off. Good evening. I'm Eric Erickson here in the WSB Live Lounge with another of the candidates running for governor in Georgia, this time on the Democratic side. I'm joined by Stacey Evans. Thanks very much for joining me.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: So I'm going to ask you up front, as I've asked all the other candidates, what is it like to be on a campaign trail when there are 159 counties out there?
1: It's fun, but very busy. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And exhausting. And um, we're putting a lot of miles on the car, as you might imagine, driving all across the state, trying to meet as many voters as possible before Election Day. But Georgia is a big, beautiful state. Really, you that.
0: know, being from Louisiana and having grown up overseas, the, the diversity of mountains to see in Georgia, I think, is a, mm-hmm. an underappreciated thing that we have here.
1: It is. We have everything. We really do. And my husband grew up in Houston, and the first time I went home to visit his family... I was immediately struck by just how flat it is. And I really came to appreciate how beautiful Hot, Georgia flat, is with no our trees. mountains. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right.
0: So let's talk about your background a little bit. You, you left the state legislature to be able to run, um, which considering fundraising rules and everything else, a, mm-hmm. a wise decision. I think there's only the lieutenant governor and Senator Williams are the ones who haven't done that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but your background, you're a lawyer by training, correct? That's right. And what sort of law did you practice?
1: Well, I started out my career as a uh, securities litigator. Uh, I represented a lot of uh, boards of directors and and small community banks as everyone was going through the change to Sarbanes-Oxley, very exciting securities law. Um, That's what I did when I first graduated from law school. I was working for the law firm that was then Powell, Goldstein, Fraser & Murphy. It eventually merged into what is now Brian Cave but I worked there for eight years, and then I left. I took a chance, uh, a risk, on two very brave whistleblowers, a doctor and a nurse who uh, had a whistleblower Medicare fraud case, and um, it was necessary because of conflicts to start another law firm to take that case, and that's what uh, me and two partners did, and we worked on that case for several years. It was really what I did with most all of my legal time for four years was uh, work on that case, and it it worked out well, we were able to recover over $300 million for the taxpayers wow. that was um, taken wrongfully uh, through the Medicare system and um, I did that and then I've spent the last couple of years working on some defamation litigation.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so having gone through that, I was a lawyer for five, well, really six years at a law firm for five. Probably would still be one, except for that thing called a client that I just <laughs> uh, <laughs> seen problems that could be resolved easily this way, but always people went the difficult path. But leaving a firm like Powell Goldstein and going off to starting a, another one, I don't know that the average person who's not a lawyer understands that's a pretty daunting task to, to do, particularly when it's one case that's anchoring the law firm.
1: It was, and I think um, looking back on it, if I had uh, maybe thought of the, all the way through how difficult <laughs> it might be, I might have uh, maybe taken a different route. But I'm really glad that I did take that risk. Um, it, was, it was a calculated risk, but a risk nonetheless, and um, really put my heart and soul and everything that my mind uh, could into this case and, and fighting for these two. They, they saw uh, what they thought was Medicare fraud, uh, waste and abuse in the system, and they brought a case forward. The U.S. government declined to intervene. Anytime you've got a Medicare fraud whistleblower case, the government has the option to pursue the case. In this instance, they declined it, which meant that my clients could go forward with private counsel, which is what happened. And I should say, uh, in fairness, the case settled, so there was never an uh, admission of wrongdoing. Um, but like I said, they did pay over $300 million um, back, to the, back to the federal uh, government, back to the taxpayers um, for Medicare, Medicare dollars.
0: This is an angle I I wanted to spend some time talking with you about with the listeners, because whenever your name comes up in Republican circles, it it is always you, you make Republicans nervous. Um, and it, so not, not, not on the issues, it, it is on the, the viability of your candidacy in a general election against a Republican, given your background there and then your personal background as well. Your your circumstances, how you were raised, how you got into elected office, it, it tends to make Republicans nervous um, because you, I think, can relate to a base of the Republican Party that has trended towards them in the last number of years and so that they get a little bit worried that they may lose some of the base to you and that it has to do with essentially you, you do have a very blue collar background growing up.
1: I do and hopefully if I'm making them nervous maybe that means I'm doing something. Like
0: that, <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. The, the relatability quotient though. Sure. Um, if you wouldn't mind, give the listeners some background in, into your background and, and how you were raised.
1: Sure. So I grew up in Ringgold, Georgia up in the northwest corner of the state right on the Tennessee line. I always. Pointed it out to folks, uh, it's the last exit on 75 before you cross over into Tennessee, and a lot of folks have been there and perhaps not realized it. But I was born and raised there. My mom was a teenage mom. She had me when she was just 17 years old. She didn't finish high school. My birth father didn't stick around. Uh, I was adopted by my first stepfather. And we had a lot of the struggles that you might imagine a, a young single mother without a high school diploma might have. Uh, we moved a lot. We lived in at least 16 different homes by the time I was 18 years old. Most of those were trailers. Um, I remember coming home many times and finding that the lights were out or the water wasn't on because we simply hadn't paid the bill because we couldn't afford it. And there was domestic violence in the house. Um, And I'm so glad that um, I was able to break out of the cycle of poverty because I was able to go to college. And the reason I was able to go to college is because I was coming out of high school only a couple of years after the Hope Scholarship program was created. So Hope literally saved my life um, and got me to the University of Georgia, the first in my family to go. And I always joke that, um, I don't joke, Georgia is absolutely the best school on the face of the planet. <laughs> um, and I did know that, um, but it was the only school I applied to. Uh, I didn't know you are supposed to pick a safety school. So. <laughs> I'm really glad it worked out, and um, I went to the University of Georgia, and the rest is history. I mean, everything that's amazing started then. I stayed there for law school. Met my husband Andrew. Uh, We've been married uh, for a little over 13 years. We have a daughter, Ashley, who turned six last week, somewhere between February 28th and March 1st. She's a leap year baby.
0: Nice. So
1: we didn't have an actual date on the calendar this year. Oh, that's um, got
0: to be tough. It's like having a birthday at Christmas.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's one of those things I worry along the way, will uh, um, a boyfriend uh, down the road will miss her birthday because he won't be able to write it on the calendar. Um, right. So we're going to have to come up with some alternative arrangement there to make sure she's not missed. Uh, but I wouldn't have my family if it wasn't for Hope mm-hmm. because I wouldn't have had the opportunity to go to college, go to law school, and meet my husband, and um, I've tried to... as much back and and i never forget that um, little girl in ringgold who didn't even know to dream this big
0: and that is one of the issues i have heard along the way even from the governor when he was dealing with education is that the governor has said that you were someone who could be approachable about educational reform in georgia having had the hope scholarship having Mm -hmm. gone through the system as you did that the the republicans have always known you were extremely ardent defender of hope and education but also Mm -hmm saw where it could be improved in the state.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, when it comes to education and access to education, um, we need to be very open to talking and working together to get the right solutions for our children because there's nothing more powerful than education. And I've lived that change that education can bring to you. And so I believe in it because it is me. And so I am going to do everything I can um, as the next governor to make sure that that hope and opportunity that's available through education, both in quality pre-K, K K through 12, and access to financial aid for college is available for all kids growing up like me all across the state.
0: I wanna stick with your your family background real quick because I remember one of the, it may have been Jim Galloway from the AJC back in late 2016, Mm -hmm. told me that you were one of the people who were telling him that, that you thought Donald Trump had a, could seriously pull this thing off because of your mother, if you wouldn't mind Mm -hmm. sharing that. If I get the story right from Jim, and don't hold me to that, but I'm pretty sure he told me that you had related a story somewhere along the way about people in your family Looking at Donald Trump as someone they could connect to,
1: right? Jim has a good memory most of the time, I think. Um, and I love Jim Galloway because he gave me what I think is one of the best titles that anyone has ever given me, and it was uh, he described me as a champion for blue collar Georgia. Yes. And uh, if I can be known for anything, that's a wonderful thing to be to be known for to be fighting for those who are out there working hard every day, just trying to make ends meet for their families. But I did. I, I remember having a conversation with Jim and many others, um, as folks said, there's no way that um, Trump can win, and, and a lot of folks were saying there's no way that Trump can win the Republican nomination. And I called that early. Um, we even had a we had a little we had a little piece of paper that everybody wrote down their predictions for who was going to win the Republican nomination at a, a gathering that we had at, at my house with some friends. And and this was early on. I said I think Trump is going to win this nomination um, for the Republican Party. Now I th- I always thought there was a chance that he could win. I didn't think he was going to, mm-hmm. um, but I thought that folks were um not being completely honest with themselves to say that there's just no way that this can happen because I think folks like my mother um and a lot of other folks that grew up in Ringgold up where I'm from a lot of other folks in northwest Georgia are so frustrated with both parties so frustrated by not feeling like anybody was really hearing them Um, a lot of folks that wanted to bring solutions to them instead of talking to them about what they needed uh, to make a better life for themselves And I think it was that frustration that led so many folks to say, you know what, I don't think Trump is really a Republican or a Democrat, and I'm just gonna, I just wanna, I want something different, and I think he represents that, and we're gonna give it a try. Now, I wish it hadn't happened, of course, (laughs) Um, and I hope that that me, uh, that the Democratic Party this year in 2018 can make it very clear to voters that we've got something for them and we wanna work with them. Um, I don't think we can do everything for Everyone, and I don't think that's what Georgia families want. Um, They're not looking for somebody to solve all their problems. They're not looking for government to do everything for them. But they are looking for government to do its job. Government has a role. Government has to make sure that we have good infrastructure, both transportation and healthcare systems and a safety net, and government has to invest in people. And that's what Georgia used to do really well through the Hope Scholarship, which is why I'm here. But if government doesn't do its job, Business can't do its job, and people don't get the opportunity to live, work, and play in the way that we would all want them to.
0: I'm going to look at my watch to make sure, okay, I'm going to go on and take a commercial break because I want to ask you about that uh, when we come back and how it relates to Amazon and Georgia's quest to bring out-of-state businesses in. When we come back, I'm Eric Erickson here at WSB joined by Stacey Evans, candidate for governor in Georgia. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here on WSB. It is 23 after the hour, and I am joined by Stacey Evans, running for governor in Georgia. Before we went to break, we were talking about business and government and essentially government doing what government should do to let mm-hmm. people thrive. One of the questions that has come up over and over and over again, in fact, Alice from Dekula asked this question, uh, what can Georgia do to lure businesses to the state without making existing businesses in the state of Georgia feel like they're second class?
1: Well, the best thing that we can do is make sure that we're doing the things government should do all along the way and not waiting until um, someone's trying to date us, so to speak, to get our house in order. And uh, a lot of what we're going to need to do to lure Amazon or the next Delta or Coca-Cola is make sure that we've got our infrastructure in place. Transportation is a major part. Of what businesses are looking for and there's a lot of talk about all these improvements that we can do to make ourselves more attractive for amazon and i'm sure that the businesses that are here are thinking why haven't you been doing this all along the way i sort of liken it to i'm sure you've gone through this where you you're getting ready to sell your house and you fix the roof and you paint it and you repair all those things that you let go and then the new owner gets to enjoy it but you don't why not let georgia businesses um, enjoy investment and infrastructure all along the way and then we're ready when the suitor shows up at the door, we're ready to go. Um, but the reality is we haven't been doing that, so we are gonna need to play catch up, and it's something that will um, hopefully iner to the benefit um, of all Georgians if we're able to uh, attract Amazon and those 50,000 jobs, and then the employers that are that are already here will get to enjoy it as well.
0: You mentioned transportation. When I asked listeners for questions uh, for the gubernatorial candidates, after the tax system, transportation was the number two issue, even ahead of education and, and other issues, it, is there some way that you can think as governor that you can help the the Atlanta infrastructure issues without also alienating the rural parts of the state that feel like they've got to subsidize Atlanta's traffic woes?
1: Right. Well, we need transportation improvements for all of Georgia. Um, having grown up outside of Atlanta and having gone to school outside of Atlanta, I know, like you know, and many others know, that the state, and the world doesn't end at the edge of 285, and there is a whole other state out there that we need to take care of, so we absolutely need to invest in uh, a coordinated regional mass transit system for the metro area, but the rest of the state needs to enjoy high-speed rail as well. Um, I want to build out commuter rail lines to connect the smaller cities to Atlanta and to each other. Uh, That puts more Georgians within a daily commute ride to a lot of great job opportunities. If you're in the southwest corner of the state, and we have a rail that runs from Albany to Macon or Albany to Savannah, you're able to take advantage of the port jobs or uh, the growth in Macon. And you could do that within a daily commute. Um, And in the meantime, think of all the amazing opportunities for businesses to sprout up along those commuter rail lines. If you build it, they will come, just like the movie says.
0: Well, yeah, and... I don't, do, I, I don't want to put you on the spot here mm-hmm. with a short question. It is something that relates to the urban-rural divide when we come back on the taxation issue. With the legislature having just scaled back taxes in Georgia a little bit, it, everyone I talk to says we need to do these infrastructure projects. Mm-hmm. And that, I guess the question is how are you going to pay for them if there's no tax increase? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot with a long question like that. I, I, I'll tease that one for you for sure. when we come back. And I also do want to talk about the rural urban divide. From being from Ringgold, you've seen the Atlanta Chattanooga corridor kind of stretch. It gets more and more congested up there. But what about attracting business to the rest of the state? Um, how do we engage that in the urban rural divide? When we come back, was, that's kind of the areas. I'll let you think about it during commercial break um, of where I'd really like to go with this conversation. Uh, just given your background of not being an Atlanta person running for governor. I'm Eric Erickson here on WSB with Stacey Evans running for governor in Georgia as a Democrat. It's 36 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson here in the WSB Live Lounge with Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacy Evans. Uh, when we left, we were talking about taxes and Every candidate I've talked to has plans for either working on a, a gl- overall authority to get everybody on the same page for transportation or, or fixing issues around the state for transportation. No one seems to want to approach the tax issue of how we pay for it. And I guess coming full circle to the start of our conversation, particularly the Republican candidates always go back to waste, fraud, and abuse, that we mm-hmm. can root out enough waste, fraud, and abuse in our system to pay for transportation without ever raising taxes. And i I'm not convinced on that front, and I would be curious for how you see the governor's role in shaping transportation policy if we're not going to raise taxes, or or are we?
1: Sure. Well, as somebody who spent four years rooting out fraud, waste, and abuse in the system, um, I do think that there is a lot of fraud, waste, and abuse in the system that we do need to root out um, and and clear out of the budget uh, to make sure that we are doing what's best for people. I don't think we're going to need to raise taxes. I do think we're going to need to make a state investment in transportation. There's also a lot of good models to follow, like our friends in North Carolina who drew down significant federal funds uh, to build out a lot of their transportation infrastructure. We have to be uh, open to that and pulling down as many dollars as we can. Um, Also, Atlanta has a great history of encouraging private business to invest in transportation infrastructure projects. And so I think we need to work uh, in in that way as as much as possible as well. But it's going to take all of us. But the beauty of any investment that you make in transportation is that it it brings you dollars back. Um, the best thing that we could do for our tax base is to get more people paying into it um, by getting more people working. And that's why restoring tuition-free technical college is a, a, a very uh, big part of my platform uh, in my race for governor because I think we do that immediately. It's about a $20 million investment from uh, lottery dollars Uh, that get more people into the classroom get them trained get them a job and get them out and get them working and paying into the system and that gives us money that we need to fund transportation projects fully fund our our schools and make sure that um higher education is a reality for more folks but there's there's no need in my mind to raise the state income tax i think we just need to be smarter about the dollars that we're spending
0: well, that gives me kind of a, is a segue into the, the Delta situation, and I mean, I, I'd like to know your position on not, I mean, what they did or didn't do, the comedy of errors that came about, but um, Georgia giving special tax breaks to businesses to, to do things, is it possible that we could just streamline the tax code and make it more business efficient overall instead of doing these carve-outs for different businesses?
1: I think there's a lot of ways that we could tackle the issue. I think that you look at some of the tax incentives and credits that we've created over the years that have been amazing for Georgia's economy, like the film tax credits have brought an amazing uh, new industry to our state, has um, created tons of jobs uh, that we didn't even know were going to be possibilities for kids coming out of college 10 years ago. Uh, So that's been an amazing thing for our state. But there have been other incentives and credits that haven't Um, been a return on investment, and we've got to make sure that we are evaluating everything. I would like to see us do as much evaluation as we can on the front end um, by uh, a commission outside of the legislature, perhaps uh, really crunching the numbers and seeing here's what we here's what we're told is going to happen. Let's look and see what kind of predictions we can make and see what kind of return of investment we're going to get and then have recommendations made to the legislature and then move from there. But we've got to make sure that we're coming back and evaluating and making sure that what we thought was going to happen, what we were told was going to happen actually did happen. Because the bottom line is any dollar that you take out of the tax base is a dollar that you've taken out of infrastructure, out of schools, out of roads, bridges, healthcare, And so we need to make sure that We're getting that return because the job is created and more folks are able to pay into the tax base. As long as that's happening, I think it's good because what we want are jobs. I mean, that's what Delta has meant to the state is jobs, tens of thousands of jobs for families all over the state. Excuse me, And that's why it was so reckless what the lieutenant governor did last week because he jeopardized all that um, by levying a threat over Twitter which is a very Trumpian thing to do in my opinion, um, we should pick up the phone and talk to each other. Uh, government leaders and um, business leaders in this state should be able to talk to each other on the phone and not over social media. Um, but what Governor Kegel, Lieutenant Governor Cagle did uh, was put a lot of jobs and families at risk because every one of those jobs, behind every one of those jobs are real people with real obligations, real bills to pay, um, mortgages to pay, gas to put in the car, kids to put through college, and all of that got put at risk for what now turns out to be uh, 13 people who who entered a discount code on a a Delta website. Um, I'll take the tens of thousands of jobs over 13 discount code recipients any day of the week, and I think that most responsible, any responsible person running for governor should be able to say the same thing.
0: In several of our ancillary points, you have mentioned technical colleges and education, and Given your background with HOPE, um, this comes up a lot in rural Georgia, particularly Mm -hmm. south of I-20 and where I am in Macon and the outskirts some of the rural areas, Wilkinson County or Taylor County. um, Access to education, to higher education, and a real concern about preserving the HOPE scholarship. Mm -hmm. And and it seems like every couple of years now, the legislature is having to deal with finances for HOPE, either a decline in lottery revenue uh, or, or other issues affecting it. What do you see as the role for the governor in making sure that Hope stays on a stable foundation for future generations?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing we have to do, in my opinion, is restore tuition-free technical college, making the Hope Grant equal full tuition the way it was From the time HOPE was created until 2011 when that program was gutted by Republican leaders and my primary opponent in this governor's race, co-authored those cuts with Governor Deal and his floor leaders, I think that was wrong. There was never a financial reason uh, to cut the HOPE grant program. Now, were lottery revenues dwindling in 08-09? Of course they were. There was a recession. Um, Now the lottery is much more healthy. So changes had to be made in 2011, but I think the way the changes were made, certainly to the HOPE grant were completely wrong. We never needed to touch the grant. And on the scholarship side, we went, we went in the wrong direction. Um, when HOPE was started and when I was able to, to be a recipient of it, it was very simple. Make a B, go to any four-year public college or university tuition-free, no SAT score requirement. Now, to get a full tuition HOPE scholarship, essentially, you've got to have a 1200 on the SAT. That is a very high score. Uh, When all this debate was going on in 2011, there were a large number of counties where not a single student had a 1,200 on the SAT. And of all African-American students who had taken the SAT the year before, less than 3% had that high of an SAT score. Luckily, the Senate uh, added a little caveat so that if you're the valedictorian or salutatorian of uh, Georgia high school, regardless of your SAT, you can qualify for the full tuition hope scholarship. But otherwise, we have cut out a lot of kids who are smart, who are hardworking, who have a heck of a lot of grit just didn't do well on a test because they didn't have the background to do well on that test or their parents couldn't afford test prep. And we've essentially cut out large swaths of this state from the state's most successful financial aid program in history. Um, so what I would like to see implemented is, is something to make sure that we are taking care of the students who otherwise would not be able to go to college without a full tuition hope scholarship that was me
0: you know in the risk of asking a question i don't know the answer to to begin Mm -hmm. with um being a lawyer by training what is your response then to because you hear this particularly among the republican candidates Mm -hmm. that one of the reasons the change had to be made was because of grade inflation that teachers were under pressure to make sure kids did get a b average so they wanted some other metric in there to make sure that kids who actually really did have an honest b Mm -hmm. weren't being shut out by other kids
1: I don't buy into that. Um, I remember being a TA in college um, for a, uh, it was an economics class of some kind, legal studies, I can't remember exactly, in the Terry College of Business. And I, I worked for the professor. And I remember kids coming in and saying, oh, you've got to change my grade. I, I need a I need a B to keep hope. And he said, get out of my office. I think there's much more professors, many more teachers throughout the state that, um, that take their jobs very seriously. And, and I think it's honestly a little insulting that we are talking about grade inflation. I think what you did see though is how some schools across the state are not preparing kids for college the way that others are. Um, And I think we are sending a lot of kids to college that haven't had that foundation in K-12 through that they deserve. And so that's why it's important for the next governor to make sure that we are making those investments in education so that when students graduate from a Georgia high school, they're ready for the next level of education, whether that's a technical college or whether that's a four-year college or university. That's where we need to take responsibility, not doing as we've done so many times over the last several years and putting it off on the teachers and saying that they're inflating grades. And that's why we've got to pull back the scholarship opportunity, which is exactly that, an opportunity. We shouldn't be doing anything to cut off the opportunity for kids to be able to go to college. And the cream always rises.
0: This is the perfect transition then to the rural-urban issue. You've got large rural counties that have a very poor income base and yet have to prop up an entire school system and county government and in some cases town government and you've got the issue of rural broadband Um, what is your plan as governor to try to help some of these rural counties and be able to attract investment in the private sector jobs there Mm
1: -hmm. well investing in infrastructure is one thing making sure that we don't leave uh, those all across the state but not in Atlanta out of transportation infrastructure projects Um, because that is opportunity in and of itself, Um, but I think these tax credits and incentives that we talked a little bit about earlier, those shouldn't just be available for the Fortune 500 companies of the world. We need to be making investments in people in these small towns who want to start or grow a small business. We've got lots of land in South Georgia that would be just perfect for solar harnessing, and we could create many clean energy jobs um, and and expand our agriculture industry down there in South Georgia. There are a lot of folks that want to open up these businesses or grow their businesses, but they don't have that access to capital. Um, And this is where government could help and make sure that we are investing in small businesses as well as the large employers that we all want to attract as well.
0: The Rural Study Committee wanted to, and I'm not sure it'll make it through the legislature this year, but change the the franchise fee for uh, internet service providers and whatnot into a tax and use that money to apply to rural broadband and try to help build out rural broadband in these areas. Um, I'd be interested in your thoughts on, on their proposal.
1: Mm-hmm. We're going to have to go back to the drawing board on that. I think we've got to put everybody at the table, the the providers, um, the local government leaders, because ultimately a lot of this will fall on their shoulders to implement and pay for with the upkeep over the years. So we've got to make sure that all the players are at the table and that we put all options on the table. And I will say from traveling around in this governor's race, um, you spend a lot of time in the car and you think, oh, well, you can just be on the phone all day long or you can get on the internet and respond to emails and things like that. But there are places in this state that you will not be able to connect. Um, And it is a different world than what we get used to here in Atlanta. And one of the more heartbreaking stories that I listened to so far on the campaign trail was going down to um, Cairo, Georgia, and sitting with school leaders down there who were talking about homework assignments that they couldn't give because they knew that their students were not going to be able to access the internet at home to do research for projects. That should not happen. Now, this school system has done amazing things to uh, do what they can with what they have. I think they're very MacGyverish. I mean, they really have been able to make uh, do with what us here in Atlanta uh, would find completely unacceptable to make sure that they're still providing the best education that they can to their children. But it's not an option for us not to figure this out um, and I think that there, this is a great place for public-private partnerships. I don't think that we want to um, go the way of just saying everybody handle it on their own uh, because that's how we got some inadequate systems, for example, up in northeast, northeast Georgia where there is access, but it's not, it's not good access, and there are no other providers. We don't want to set up those situations again, and we need to make sure that we are putting all options on the table and all parts of this um, at the table to make sure that we're not leading to any unintended consequences.
0: It's several people ask, um, in fact let me go to Alex and Norcross, one of the issues that was asked is um, how do you see the state balancing the income tax system versus the sales tax system when you have Tennessee, Florida, Texas being big business competitors all going the sales tax route?
1: Well here in Georgia we've not done a great job of collecting our sales tax so any system that's based solely on a sales tax uh, is terrifying to me because we have not done a great job of collecting that money from the retailers as they are supposed to collect it from the customers and so we cannot move to that system uh, I don't think it's smart anyway but at the very least we're, we're going to need to figure out a better way to collect those taxes um, but Georgia has a lot of things going for it and we can compete with this, these states even with a state sales tax it hasn't kept us from um, from being competitive in in attracting businesses and attracting families to move here. And so I don't think that we need to go overboard in, 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 in throwing out a system that's worked for Georgia for many years.
0: When we come back, Stacey Evans gets her chance to make her pitch. Why her and not the other candidates? Why a Democrat, not a Republican? I'm Eric Erickson here on WSB. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here uh, with Stacey Evans, running for governor in Georgia. We've got about two minutes left, and this is your chance. Make your closing pitch. Uh, You've got five Republicans running, two Democrats running. What sets you apart?
1: Well, no one will work harder for this state to bring hope and opportunity to Georgia families because I've lived the difference that, that hope can make for a child. And so I believe in it to my core because I know I wouldn't be here without it. And that access to opportunity that made my life possible... Uh, came through the form of a scholarship. But for so many other folks, it may be uh, it may be a contract, it may be um, public transportation routes, uh, it may be a, a hospital opening in their area, or it may be uh, access to capital for their business. Whatever that access to opportunity point is for Georgians, I understand how important those access points are. And I want to work as hard as I can to make those opportunities possible so that more Georgians can write their own future. I don't think that folks are looking for government to do everything for them, but they're looking for government, as I said earlier on the show, to do their job, to invest in infrastructure and invest in people so that we can go and live, work, and play in the state that we all wanna see for us and for our children. And I will never, ever forget what the Hope Scholarship did for me. And I will never, ever forget the lessons that I learned growing up in a family that had nothing Uh, what a difference my life has been and what a difference my daughter's life is compared to how I grew up. And I want to do everything I can to bring that opportunity to more Georgia families.
0: Stacey Evans, thanks very much for taking the time to be with us.
1: And good luck on the campaign trail. Thank you. Appreciate it.